minds with the chip inside I can link it digitized out Which prior to this was higher than science could ever devise This is a neural interface We're gonna stick it in your face Still it in your brain and interlace There's an arms war on and we're gonna win the race Leave everything a race, bring the base Welcome to Dangerous Minds, where we delve into the minds of biohackers, grinders, and take a look at the tech being implanted and developed by this community. This is a special edition of DMP Tonight, a recording of a panel at the previous DEC DEFCON Biohacking Village. We're sharing this as a recap of great information that was presented and as a reminder that the same team behind DCBHV will be putting on another edition of the DEFCON Biohacking Village August 9th through 12th, 2018 in Las Vegas, Nevada at Caesars Palace. For more information, please go to defconbiohackingvillage.org and or for more information on DEFCON itself, go to defcon.org. We look forward to seeing you there at the, for the great talks and panels as well as the expo floor. But before we share these clips with you, we want to thank our sponsor Dangerous Things who delivers custom gadgetry for the discerning hacker and biohacker. So check them out at dangerousthings.com. Now, you, if you or your organization is interested in sponsoring the efforts of Dangerous Minds podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at info at dangerousminds.io, and we'll be glad to talk to you about it. So, our next speaker is a biohacker, a blogger, body mod artist, and a nurse. Uh, he's collaborated on projects ranging from insufferable peptides that extend REM sleep all the way to non-Newtonian armor implants. He, he actually hosts the annual event Grindfest in Tecachapi, California. I probably butchered that. I apologize. Hmm? At you? I'm sorry. Uh, a little fun fact about him. He actually placed third in the Biohack Village Oxytocin Poker Tournament, and he performed an implant on transhumanist presidential candidate Zoltan Isvan. Now here to present his talk on Biohackers Die, ladies and gentlemen, Jeffrey Tibbetts. Alright, I'm the first one to try out this mic, so it's good? Awesome. Okay, so uh, how's it going? I'm a biohacker and uh, I have done a few um, high-profile high grinds. Okay, so a number of people in this room and I were on an MTV show snorting a peptide called VIP that uh, Rat, rat models have shown can radically alter circadian rhythms. Uh, it didn't do much to our sleep cycles, but we did find that it seriously boosted visual memory function on two methods of testing. Uh, we're still crunching the numbers on that study, but I think I had a lot more fun last DEF CON where we all snorted the oxytocin. That's the so-called trust or bonding hormone. And uh, yeah, we did this up in a hotel room and then competed in a poker tournament. Um, I've also done some pretty cool work with nerve growth factors, and uh, you know we found that introducing NGF at the point of incision when implanting a magnet actually increases sensitivity and provides a better result in terms of ability to perceive fields. You know, so um, essentially, where groups like Grindhouse Wetware or CyberEyes or Dangerous Things are are focusing really on creating technology to place in the body, my focus tends to be on ways to alter a person's physiology or anatomy. And which is basically the antithesis of my day job. As, as a registered nurse in an ER, my objective is bringing people back into normal limits. Uh, I'm fortunate that I still get to be involved in it with all the cool new devices being developed because you always need someone willing to cut you open and shove things inside. So, let's see if this is actually going to work. Hey, okay. So, I've done hundreds of procedures at this point, ranging in complexity from the quick poke of an RFID injector, like you see Zoltan getting here, to 
bilateral uh, armor implants running the length of the recipient's shins. Okay? As far as I can tell, everything I do is legal and falls under laws pertaining to body modification. I mean, I, I think it's legal. <laughs> um, of course, saying something's legal doesn't necessarily mean it's safe, which is the focus of what I'm going to talk about today. Um, I've been active in the grinding community pretty much since its exception, and it's only lately that I've really been willing to admit, even to myself, that um, someone's going to die. Okay, and uh, something's going to go wrong and somebody will die. Cool. Okay, so grinders are community, uh, radically, uh, committed to radically altering the body. And so sometimes it's treatments like transcranial magnetic or direct current stimulation, or um, it could be through the use of previously untested chemicals like VIP. Um, often it takes the form of implanted devices. Um, all these approaches come with risks. Uh, what I'm going to focus on today is why, despite all the risks being taken, a grinder hasn't died yet. All right. If you didn't know about Tim Cannon and Circadia prior to this DEF CON, I'm sure you know now. People have had a lot to say about his project, and not all of it was positive. Uh, I'm going to read three comments that I found about Tim. So, I guess, if you want flesh-eating bacteria, sepsis, and such, get one stuck in your body at a chop shop. Uh, this comment, the assumption underlying this type of comments that we're all incompetent and uh, with a total disregard for sterile technique and safety. Trust me, this isn't the case. I don't know why, but media folk love to record arguments and family drama, but they always stop recording during the hours spent cleaning and autoclaving. You idiots need to look more into potential side effects prior to doing these things. So on top of being incompetent, we're also totally ignorant. Despite the months and in some cases even years that we spend on projects, people assume we know nothing at all. And once again, this is not the case. That's my favorite. Uh, yeah, when it comes to something like cutting somebody's body open, skin open, and putting some foreign object under the skin, then it should be done by professional people, not just people at home. Um, I like this one because it acknowledges that, yes, somewhere out there has the skill to do this stuff, but it's not us, right? Um, I think the best way to, to address these concerns is by showing exactly how much knowledge and skill goes in even the most basic of uh, procedures. So first off, yes, there are grinders that are performing procedures in their garages, okay? Let's take a look at one. Uh, it's kind of cut off, but still, as you can see on the slide, the, all the walls are non-porous, they're wipeable, there's a HEPA-filtered air supply, um, there's overhead uh, surgical lighting, and um, there's also a non-porous wipeable procedure chair. Uh, off to the left where you can't see, there's a scrub sink, there's a patient monitor, there's an electrosurgical unit over stuck in the corner, an IV pump, there's a biohazard, biohazard disposal bin, a sharps disposal bin, I'm still working on putting in oxygen in an air supply. Uh, yes, this garage is not on par with an OR found in a hospital, but it's better than most procedure rooms that you find in clinics, to be honest. Okay, and uh, the most important aspect of this entire room, though, is that it's designed to be easily cleaned. Okay, and cleanliness is usually a critic's first point of contention. Clean is not good enough, right? Uh, contrary to popular belief, operating rooms are not sterile. The best you can hope for is disinfected. People mix up all the time sterilization and disinfection and antisepsis. Um, so... Antiseptics are cleansers that reduce the number of pathogens on the skin. Grinders use either a mixture of 70% alcohol with a 4% chlorhexidine gluconate or a potone iodine 12% to disinfect the incision site. Either works. I prefer chlorhexidine because it has a residual action. Okay, in terms of disinfectants, they are chemicals which kill the majority of infectious agents on a surface. We use a 1 to 10 dilution of bleach for surfaces and quaternary ammonia for more delicate items like equipment and tubes and cords and things, right? Uh, in terms of sterilization, this is, uh, sterilization is the elimination of all life. You've got to sterilize anything that touches the incision site, like tools and gauze. This is my Ritter uh, M9022. works by bringing tools to 121 Celsius at a pressure of 15 PSI for 30 minutes. Um, so 
of course, just having these tools and supplies doesn't mean you're using them right. And someone could totally still claim that we're incompetent based off of this. But if I took the time to really explain how to scrub in and disinfect the environment and you know, the use of the ultrasonic baths and enzymes and protectants prior to autoclaving, we never actually make it to my point. So um, we, we are using them correctly. Uh, so really, I mean, are we competent? I know we're competent as the guys working in the hospital OR because I know those guys and I was trained by those guys. Okay? And are we ignorant? Well, I guess the, the question I have is why aren't operating rooms sterile? There was a grinder project a few years back where some people made a chamber and the recipient would place his hand in the box and the whole procedure was performed by an artist reaching through this like gloved aperture, right? They would fill the entire chamber with a vaporized disinfectant like immediately before doing the procedure, right? I couldn't find a picture of this. Uh, but what, what I did find a picture of though, if it works, come on. Yeah, okay, oh, too far. There we go. Uh, this is a, a hydrogen peroxide vapor system being made by a company called BioQuell, and it's being trialed at John Hopkins. Um, I'd say no, we're not ignorant. On the contrary, we're right at the forefront, if not beyond uh, uh, what the medical field is already doing. I mean, this is being trialed at John Hopkins. We had a few years back someone already trying the same type of idea. Uh, okay, anyways, our next consideration is analgesia. I can't use some of the methods because of where I live, but plenty of grinders can and do. The gold standard um, is infiltration of lidocaine because, because a lot of procedures we do are in distal areas with poor circulation. We use 2% lidocaine without epinephrine. Epinephrine is great in other areas because it constricts blood flow, and this keeps the lidocaine in the area longer and... Uh, um, it actually decreases bleeding, so like in fingers and ears though, it can um, restrict blood flow enough to cause necrosis. So we're doing a technique, we, we generally, most grinders are using a technique, Let me, yeah, there we go, um, called a flexor tendon sheath nerve block. Uh, that's where you take a 25 gauge needle and you insert it at about 45 degrees just distal to the palmar crease. Okay, this blocks pain throughout the entire finger uh, for as long as an hour and a half. Uh, in places where we can't use infiltration, uh, people usually opt for a topical lidocaine gel. 5% gel applied for an hour and a half can provide a degree of analgesia as well. Um, I feel personally that this method takes too long and people still complain of pain. Uh, this is an issue in medicine as well. A few people like getting stuck with an IV. There is a project, product called Emlacream which can be applied beforehand to numb the site. Uh, the problem though is it takes so long to be effective, physicians seldom even bother with it. Uh, you know, some kids sometimes get it, but that's about it. And uh, so we've been trialing a method um, of administration called iontophoresis. Uh, iontophoresis is uh, uses 120 milliamps to actively push lidocaine through the skin. Okay, using ionophoresis, we've gotten far. Uh, we've gotten far better control of pain in as little as 30 minutes. You know, and this is something I've never heard of actually being used in the medical field. Okay, um, so once again, you know, are we competent? Yeah, we're using the same methods, the same safe methods uh, that you'd find in a hospital setting. And are we knowledgeable? Yeah, we're actually pushing beyond. We're innovating at this point. You know. Uh, in terms of controlling bleeding, we control bleeding with tourniquets. Um, did you know first aid kits don't even come with tourniquets anymore? The improper use of a tourniquet can lead to some really serious problems. Uh, uh, these problems are usually because of either too much pressure or leaving them on for too long. For a procedure like a magnet though, we don't have to worry about pressure if we use a project, product intended for fingers. Uh, devices like T-rings, this is a T-ring, they apply less force than a traditional tourniquet and they let us work without blood to obstruct our view. Uh, in other... Yeah, uh, in, in terms of time, you don't even get a change in your lab values indicating muscle damage has occurred until about the 30 minute mark. And two hours is considered the point at which lasting damage starts to occur. Okay, most procedures we do take maybe 10 minutes tops. 
okay? And for more invasive procedures, we do use surgical tourniquets. This approach requires a lot more specialized knowledge. Uh, we have to pay attention to details like the proper limb occlusion pressure, and we have to be really careful about recording time. But I'm going to skip over those details um, pretty much in the name of brevity because, but I, I don't want you to confuse this admission as being due to incompetence or, or ignorance. Okay, so where are we? We have a disinfected procedure area and sterile tools. We have a clean procedure site and clean hands. We're pain-free. Uh, bleeding's controlled, so we must be ready to start cutting. Uh, where do we cut? The priority, of course, is avoiding blood vessels and nerves. Okay, then we worry about trying to minimize scarring. Uh, in terms of, let's see, skin has a grain, kind of like how wood does. Uh, the collagen fibers are naturally oriented in one direction called Langer's lines, okay? Um, you can get these really cool topological maps um, showing the direction of collagen. Uh, you also have to take in consideration the direction of maximum skin tension, okay? This is a different set of anatomical skin lines called Krasel's lines. Plastic surgeons usually place incisions that are parallel to relaxed skin tension lines. Those are known as Borges lines. And uh, unless there's a nearby natural wrinkle that would hide your incision instead. So, Basically, choosing the incision site to maximize aesthetics is more difficult than you would think. For example, that show up. Eh, it's not a great pick. But, okay, so I switched out a North Star implant for my friend Bird. She's in the back right here. And when we switch out the North Star, um, oh, by the way, she really digs scars anyways, and she explicitly gave me the okay to try a different approach. Uh, anyway, so I incised parallel to Langer's lines, hoping to minimize the scarring on her hand. And uh, I didn't really account for the skin tension on the skin. So when it was healing, you know, whenever she'd move her hand around, it was providing, it was, it was pulling on the incision site, right? So um, basically, because I didn't account for the tension on the skin, uh, it was pull constantly pulling, and I, I was really disappointed because the incision ended up scarring worse. So if you can see right here, this is actually along this line. This is the original incision point right here. And uh, right here is the incision that I made when I was switching them out. So it's... Um, I mean, this one is like a, the, the original one is about a year of healing further along than this one, but still, I, I think that it's going to end up being a bigger scar overall. So it's kind of one of these things where we're still, we're still playing with it um, and trying to figure out the best approaches, and, uh, but it's, it's not something that we're, I would say we're ignorant about. Okay, so, you know, once again, are we ignorant or incompetent? In this area, I'd say it's a wash. I've seen beautiful work done by both plastic surgeons and body modification artists. Uh, at the Body Hacks conference, I got to hang out with Russ Fox. He's like a god in the body mod community. Uh, his work's beautiful, and I'll be the first to admit I'm not at his level as competency. Um, I've also gotten to sit through a number of procedures performed by one of the top plastic surgeons in the LA area. There's no way I can do what either of them do. Okay, that said, people don't come to me and make them pretty. Yeah. Uh, what people expect is the safe pl placement of a safe device, which is something that grinders are competent to provide. So, in terms of incisions, how we make the incision depends on what we're doing. Uh, objects in glass capsules like tritium fireflies or arfids can be placed using an injector. So, for other implants, we use a 15 or 11A scalpel blade on a number three handle. A scalpel is held with a pencil grip in the dominant hand, while the non-dominant hand provides tension on the skin. We make the incision slightly larger than the object to be implanted. When you get below the dermis, the connective tissue tears easily. Uh, the artist chooses between blunt or sharp dissection. You can separate connective tissue with a probe, but I found blunt dissection causes more trauma and increases healing time, so I usually opt for sharp dissection of the scalpel. Um, sharp dissection comes with the risk of cutting through an important structure, so if I'm working in an area I'm less familiar with, I like to go with blunt. Uh, the point of separating the tissue is to create a pocket for the implant to sit in. It's best to create a pocket that uh, it's somewhat larger than the device you want because you want skin laxity. You want enough give in that area so that you can approximate the incision without it being under tension. 
Okay. Uh, let's see if this one shows up. Hey, okay, so Bagelhead, are you guys familiar with what this is? It was uh, basically a year or two back, there was a physician who started posting on the biohack forums, um, and he suggested we try a technique that's called fluid dissection. Uh, it's like the Bagelhead thing right here. What you're doing, the idea is you put fluid under the area, under pressure, and it creates the pocket for you. So in this case, that's just normal saline that was done with an IV needle, and you fill up the area, and you push with your thumb in the middle. You know, it, pretty much the saline reabsorbs within, I don't know, six to eight hours. Um, Anyways, so his idea was that we could do like how you do a TB test. You know, and I've done this hundreds of times as a nurse. You know, you have, when you're doing a TB test, you're actually doing an intradermal injection. You're going to go into the skin, do a little injection, and it makes a bubble. And his idea was essentially that we could make this big saline fluid pocket that way and then just cut right into it, slip the magnet in, like no problem, you know. Um, I was somewhat critical of it. Um, oh, sorry. I recorded a video where I tried out the fluid dissection method three different times in three different areas, and, uh, and it didn't work at all. Okay. Uh, the weird thing, though, was when I posted what I found, okay? So I went up and I, I posted what I found. The guy just, like, flipped his shit, okay? Despite giving him credit and only posting the video as a direct response to the thread he started, he accused me of plagiarizing his work. Okay. He swore to never help us again and quit the forums, okay? So why would I plagiarize a technique that doesn't work, you know? Um, Seriously wonder if it had worked out, um, if he would have still been upset. You know, I think the real ego issue may have been an ego bruised by someone with like one-fifth of his credentials demonstrating that he's wrong. Okay. Uh, so closing the incision. Um, we use a non-absorbable suture like polypropylene with a third three-eighths curvature reverse cutting needle. Um, I taught a class during Grindfest a few years back on suturing. And the three techniques we practiced were simple interrupted running sutures and horizontal mattresses performed with an instrument tie. So uh, these types can be used for probably 90% of the procedures we're doing, and uh, we're just not doing anything complicated enough to require a larger repertoire. The technique's then removed. We let a small amount of blood out, flushing out the wound, um, and then we apply pressure for a minute, and the bleeding stops. Uh, the wound's then dressed using steri-strips. Initial healing takes around three weeks, during which the focus is on controlling inflammation using um, ice and ibuprofen. Okay, sutures are pulled sometime between day three and seven, after which steri-strips are kept on to prevent the site from reopening. Collagen fibers reinforce the wound after a month, and although wound maturation and remodeling can take more than a year. Um, again, for the sake of brevity, I'm omitting a lot of information that I would consider essential. Um, here, let's go. Then, as much focus as I put into talking about the safe uh, as much focus as we put into safe implantation, the insertion of a device is actually the simple part. It'd be easy to stand here for another hour speaking exclusively about biocompatibility. The community is constantly brainstorming new types of coatings and ways to apply them. Medical devices like pacemaker are usually coated in either a biocompatible alloy like titanium nitride or a polymer like perylene. The simplest biohacks don't require even these. Um, when injectable RFIDs were first being marketed, I was concerned because they're encapsulated in glass. My concern and the concern of probably a lot of people is that if the glass breaks in your body, it seems like it could cause harm. So I was involved in the testing of this idea, and what we found is it takes so much force to break these things that if it happens, the glass is the least of your worries. Uh, I mean, sure, it'll break if you drive over your hand, right? Okay, uh, another concern I've seen pop up over and over is research indicating that ARFIDs uh, implants can cause tumors. Uh, so there are journal articles about this. Rats and mice, particularly the types used in labs, are particularly prone to tumors. So, so these studies have shown that as, much as, as many as 10% of the rats developed a harmless tumor near the ARFID capsule. They're called post-injection sarcomas. Uh, what you don't realize is these sarcomas occur in, occur in murine models regardless of whether the ARFID is there or not. Uh, it, it happens in cats too, okay? Um, it's because it has something to do with the animal's ability to handle oxidative stress. 
Cats just sometimes get tumors if you poke them with a needle. Um, it's like acetaminophen. What's poison to a cat isn't necessarily poison to us. Okay? Dogs, on the other hand, they seldom ever get post-injection sarcomas. That's why oh, I only found one case study ever about a dog they found a, a, this type of tumor in. Right? We put hundreds of thousands of ARFIDs in dogs. Uh, these studies, they just can't be applied to human applications. I've never heard or seen of an ARFID being rejected and breaking inside of someone or causing a tumor to form. Okay. Uh, most projects, however, they don't fit in glass. So early work like the circadia and uh, uh, early work like circadia use silicone. It's a material that's been safely used by the body mod community for years. It has its disadvantages though, and we've uh, almost entirely replaced it with titanium nitride and perylene. The same coatings as biomedical devices. I subscribed to a journal that discusses biocoatings, and I came across an article talking about a method developed which could apply a layer of diamond. When I contacted the guy responsible for the research, he helped me produce a batch of neodymium iron boron magnets coated in diamond. Uh, out of the 10 I've implanted, uh, only two have had problems. We haven't yet determined if these problems were related to a defect in manufacturing, a problem with diamond coatings, or simply because of events related to healing. But this is another example of the biohacking community not only uh, matching the diligence required in medical devices, but striving to exceed them. Okay, there are many considerations that go into making an implant, I'm not even qualified to address. I know there's a lot of work regarding appropriate batteries. It's obviously something, you know, it's obvious something equivalent to a Samsung bursting into flames under the skin could be lethal. Um, but there are more subtle issues like outgassing, okay? Bottom line is we don't expect our implants to fail, but we have to engineer them so that if they do, they do so uh, harmlessly. And we have to perform tests to determine if we succeeded in making them safe. For devices to be approved by the FDA, you need ISO 109903 certification. Um, this requires cytotoxicity testing like direct contact tests or agar diffusion tests. Uh, sensitization assays are used to determine whether a material is going to cause hypersensitivity or an allergic reaction. Uh, let me keep skipping through some of this. I just get to the point. Basically, with these tests, um, we have no obligation to do these tests. We have, we're, we're, not, uh, we're not in any way um, obligated by the FDA or, or, or anyone to essentially be performing these tests, and yet we still are. I mean, if you look at what Grindhouse has done, they've done these cytotoxicity tests. If you look at some of the stuff we've done with the different uh, coatings and, and just different stuff, I mean, we're doing the majority of tests um, with, I think, what we're missing pretty much nobody does multi-generational tests to see if, you know, four generations down the road uh, there's going to be problems. But, I mean, with the majority of materials we're working with, it's already been done, you know, with the exact same materials. And yet we're still repeating these tests just because uh, in the community we're just so we put so much emphasis on trying to create a safe product to do this the right way, okay? So despite how, how simple something like a magnet implant seems to be, it requires a lot of work and a lot of research. This is uh, work grinders are doing and skills we're learning. Are we competent? Absolutely. There may be a safer and better way to do these things, but if there is, I'm willing to bet grinders will be amongst the first to put them into practice. Are we ignorant? No. We, we, we study and practice our craft without being blinded by ego. Should we wait for those who consider themselves to be professionals to give us their blessing? Look, no surgeon's going to be willing to do the things we're doing. Medicine returns the body to the state we consider normal. It's not the pursuit of becoming more than human. And body modification community is similarly unsuitable. Uh, Biohacking is rooted in cooperation and collaboration. There are great guys like Hayworth and Russ Fox, but money mod modification in general is poisoned by an unwillingness to collaborate. Okay? This is fine when we're talking about nipple piercings, but grinders are already working on designs for brain-computer interfacing. You know? I want the skills to place a multi-electrode array and expand on the type of work Kevin Warwick did 15 years ago. Uh, I don't know any physicians willing or body modification artists capable of doing this. There are no masters. There are no professionals. If we're not skilled enough, the only option is to become better at what we do. Okay? So why is it I'm convinced someone's going to die? 
One minute. Wow, great. <laughs> Good. I'm almost there. Okay. In 2011, there was a BMG case report titled Body Piercing with Fatal Consequences. A man in his 50 died from a mesenteric infarct. What that is, is uh, basically he had a belly button piercing and it migrated inward, right? Cut off blood flow. I've seen about three of these in my career. Uh, what happens is, you know, they have some kind of GI upset, they open them up for exploratory and their entire gut is already just gray and dead. There's nothing to do. You sew them back up and you tell them to say goodbye to your family. You know, uh, within a day they're vomiting feces and then they die. It's terrible. Okay, and uh, the, obviously this is not this is oh, sorry this is not an exception. You know there are case after case of people dying from you know all kinds of things with piercings. But it's not just piercings. That's not the only thing that scares me. You know I mean uh, oh, I should read that. Part. I'm convinced someone is going to die because there are between two and four deaths a year on average in the U.S. from people shaking vending machines. Okay, <laughs> people take every precaution and are meticulous about aftercare. I mean, it's still risk, man. People are someday it's a numbers game and somebody's going to die. The problem with this, the problem with this is that there's going to be that backlash from the first inevitable death, right? So far, the media has been kind to us, right? Uh, everything we do, I mean, like people have been doing piercings for into antiquity and yet we put a stupid magnet in and it's like they're cyborgs man they're you know they're like innovating no 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 we're not really doing that amazing stuff but you know the way they're pitching us is being you know we're doing this amazing or, or we're doing something different than everyone else problem with that is, is when somebody dies that's just going to blow up in our face I mean uh, the way it's going to work is, is that same sensationalism that blew it up as a hundredfold of us doing these things it's also going to be you know oh my god these dangerous people doing these dangerous things um, and, and we know what they're going to say about it what it's going to be is they're going to say we're ignorant and we should have looked into the risks of what we're doing they're going to say we'll all get sepsis and flesh-eating bacteria you know they're going to assume we're incompetent and they'll say procedures like this should be left to someone else someone who has the knowledge and competency to do it right right okay so less than a minute damn <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. It goes like this. I'm done, right? Yeah. Okay. Ah, whatever. <laughs> okay, real quick. I'm done. Look, we drive cars around, right? And we think it's okay, even though look at the number of deaths that occur from cars. No one's saying we're going to stop driving because it's too dangerous, right? Um, beyond that, even beyond necessity, there's, you know, people smoke. You smoke cigarettes, you know, it's killing this many people, and yet we, it's acceptable in society. You know, we smoke cigarettes. But what we're doing, it's also risky. But you know what? It's a risk we're taking because we believe in it. We're trying to create a future, you know? Uh, we're doing something that's meaningful. And so I, I don't have anything to say about really the backlash when the first grinder dies. We're screwed. But I'll tell you what I do know. I do know that that person that first dies, they died doing something they believe in. They died doing something that they researched and knew the risks, and they did it anyways, and they died in a way that they thought was meaningful. Yeah, so that's all I got to say. Thank you. <laughs> Special thanks to the team at DEFCON Biohacking Village for sharing this recording with us. Remember, if you're able to make it out to Las Vegas, Nevada for DEFCON in August of 2018, it'll be worth a trip, for the panels and topics covered are just a small portion of the action. With the activities and networking available with the other attendees is a true payoff. So our loyal listeners, if you would like to know more about this journey we take, please check out the DMP homepage at DangerousMinds.io or go to Facebook.com forward slash DangerousMindsPodcast. Please keep in mind, events like these are listed on our DMP Google Calendar. And if you, are, you have an event that you would like to add to it, please email, it, email us at info at DangerousMinds.io. 
Now all of us want to thank you for joining us as we further explore the tech and the people behind it within this fastly growing community of biohacking, grinding, and implantable technology today. If you like the programming we share and the work that we're doing in the community, please support us by going to our Patreon page and becoming a supporter at www.patreon.com forward slash dangerous minds. Please feel free to reach out to us with questions, comments, and perhaps maybe one day we'll talk to you about the work and our projects you're exploring and developing. Until next time, seek the spark. Scientific progression is steamrolling, there's no preventing it going ahead. Now we're intrinsically linked with technology, biology as we know it is dead.